Lord, that perhaps we think that there isn't a lot of application, but there is. And Lord, I pray that we would just be attentive to you right now. Thank you that we can come as one body in agreement, just praying for those who need prayer. And as we come to the communion table tonight, to just remember what you have done for us, that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Father, bless this time right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just kind of a quick little review of of chapter, uh, where we're at here in the book of Deuteronomy as we enter into chapter 26 is that, of course, Moses here has given his final address to the children of Israel. There is their poised to go into the promised land. They're on the east side of the Jordan River, and they have been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. And so their fathers had died out there in the wilderness because of their disobedience, because of their unbelief, because they did not go into the promised land. They hardened their hearts towards the Lord. And so now this new generation is going to go into the promised land, and the Lord is um, telling Moses and to give them the law once again. This new generation needed to hear the law. They needed to be prepared spiritually to go into the promised land. So that's what we've seen Moses has been doing, haven't we? All these chapters, he has uh, just reminded them once again how the Lord brought them out of Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai, and he made a covenant with them. And we know that in Exodus chapter 24 that Moses sealed that covenant. You might recall when the people said, we will do what the Lord has told us to do. And then he sprinkled the people with blood. And so they would break that covenant. And so here, Moses, with this new generation, we're going to see that after chapter 26, after he finishes giving them the law once again, the ceremonial laws, the, the civil laws, the guidelines given to them, when they go into the promised land to do battle, because now they're a nation, given the land that God has promised to them, they're going to multiply, they're going to have their inheritance, they're going to have their allotments there, each tribe, and so they need to function as a nation, and they were to be governed by God. That's what the word Israel means, governed by God. That's what his desire was. They were to be a testimony to the other nations, and we're going to see that as the Lord's going to tell them that once again. And so here, as this law is going to be given to them, chapter 26 pretty much will wrap that all up. And then chapters 27 and 28, we're going to see that the covenant is going to be confirmed once again, because that was not a covenant just for their fathers, but it was a covenant for them, and it's going to be a covenant that they are to keep uh, with their children and their grandchildren from generation to generation. And so this is a, a renewal of the covenant and, um, and they're going to confirm the covenant once again. Then what we're going to see is Moses is going to bless the people for the last time. Then Joshua is going to be commissioned to be the new leader, to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And then after that, what we're going to see is Moses will die in Mount Nebo, and then the people will mourn. So all of this is kind of a, a, a forerunner if you would, to the book of of Joshua, which is a wonderful, wonderful book. I think that a lot of us, that we say that we love to study that book, the book of Joshua. And so um, this really is getting us ready uh, to go into the book of Joshua, all these things taking place, because they're very close right now to going into the promised land. So chapter 26, as we see that the, the laws concerning the first fruits and tithes are given to them once again. 
And we read that it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land, that the Lord your God has given you, and put it in a basket, and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days, and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to your fathers to give us. In verse 4, Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it before the altar of the Lord your God. So when you come into the land, we, we've seen this already in Numbers chapter 18, that it was the Lord's desire when they began to produce their grain and uh, harvest their grain, when they began to harvest their vineyards and their orchards, that he would get the first fruits. And that is something that he is reiterating to them once again. And part of those first fruits would also be given to the priests and the Levites. And so this was a way for them to honor the Lord, and it was a way to give thanks to the Lord for the blessings that he has blessed them with. And so, uh, again, we have made application as we've talked about these things, that the Lord desires for you and for me to give him the first fruits of our lives. The Lord desires for us to give him the first fruits of our time and our energy and our devotion and our service to him and our resources to him. That's what God's desire is for you and for me. That we would say that, Lord, what I give to you is a priority in my life. And I want to give you the first fruits of my life. Because I am coming, as we're going to see now in verses 5 through 15, the right kind of giving, that, that the right kind of mindset and heart that we are to have when we do give to the Lord. And one of those is that, Lord, I'm very thankful for the wonderful work that you have done in my life. And so let's begin to look at that, verse 5. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there a few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mis- mistreated us, afflicted us, and, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and with an outstretched arm, and with great terror, and with his signs and wonders. And he brought us to the place that land give, uh, given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In verse 10, And now behold, I brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And so we see here that the, the right giving and the right kind of mindset and heart in giving is, first of all, what they were to do is give a confession of thanks, remembering their history that they were a small group, uh, Jacob and his sons, that would come from Canaan, and um, they would come, actually, as uh, he refers back to clear to that time when Jacob was there in Pandanaran, um, and he was there with Uncle Laban and marrying Rachel and Leah and all the children that they were having. They would come back into Canaan and then eventually into Egypt. And after those generations, 400 years of being in Egypt, they would be great in number, and the Egyptians afflicted them, and the Egyptians held them in bondage. But we know that God, with his mighty hand, brought them out of Egypt. So it was to be a confession. It was to be a testimony of the marvelous work that God had done in bringing them out of Egypt to this land, this promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
that we've been able to produce, you know, this fruit. We've been able to produce the grain because the land is good. And Lord, you're so wonderful. And you see, when we give to the Lord, one of the principles for us to give, as Paul would write in Second Corinthians, of course, is to give willingly and to give freely, but to be a cheerful giver. To, to give with a heart of thanksgiving that, Lord, you have brought me out of Egypt. That is out of the world, hasn't he? Out of the bondage of the world, out of the oppression of the world. And, Lord, you have brought me into a life of blessing. And any of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, we have reason to be thankful, don't we? We have the blessings of the Lord. We have forgiveness. We have the promise of salvation. We have his promises for us as we live in this world. And so we can be thankful, and that should cause us to want to give to the Lord. Lord, you gave me the very best, your son, and Lord, I want to give you the first fruits of my life. And so it was a confession of thanks, and then there was to be rejoicing as we continue uh, to read here. We see in verse 11, So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. So you are to give with a heart of rejoicing. And as I have mentioned, as particularly as we went through the book of Philippians, Paul would write, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And Paul reminds us that as a Christian that we always have reason to rejoice as a Christian as well. We have reason to give thanks. We have a reason to rejoice. And I think the two are closely linked, aren't they? If you have a heart that's full of gratitude and thanksgiving, you're going to have a joy that's deep in your heart. But if you don't have a heart that has thanksgiving and gratitude for what the Lord has done, then you're not going to rejoice in your heart. And the reason why Paul could rejoice in the difficult circumstances that he would find himself in, and of course you guys know that when he wrote that in the book of Philippians, he was chained to a Roman guard. He didn't know what was going to happen to him, but he said rejoice. And I can rejoice and not be anxious because I am thankful and I know that the Lord has me and and it's going to be for the furtherance of the gospel, whatever happens to me, and I know that I can trust the Lord that, that whatever happens is for the best. So he was very thankful, and he rejoiced in the Lord, and you and I always have reason to rejoice. May not always rejoice in the circumstances, but remember that the circumstances is not our source of joy. It's the Lord that's your source of joy, right? The Lord is the reason why we have joy, because he is with us, and we have the hope of heaven and forgiveness we're his child. And so we have reason to rejoice that deep inner joy, even when life is difficult and hard, because we do have the Lord. And so we can rejoice in the Lord. He's our source of rejoicing. Not the circumstances, but he is. So here he says that you rejoice, and, and as you have thanksgiving and as you rejoice, it's going to prompt you to give him the first fruits of your life. And then as we continue reading in verse 12, when you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it 
for an unclean use or given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us, just as you swore to your fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. So right giving is when we do it with a heart of thanksgiving. Right giving, second of all, is when we do it with a heart that is rejoicing. Thirdly, right giving is done according to God's word, verse 13. Done in, according to all your commandments. And one of the things that, as we know, as we go to the New Testament, it is the Lord's desire that we would give to him. And notice, when the Lord talks about giving here in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, it's the Lord's desire that all of us would give. Not just those who have you know, uh, been prosperous or wealthy, but the Lord's desire is that all would give and that all of us would give to him, again, cheerfully, willfully, as the Lord puts it on your heart. That is the way that we are to give. And so the Lord has that commandment given to us, his desire for us to give, and so here, right given according to God's word, done according to all your commandments, as we see here in verse 13. And... um, and and um, has and then also one two three four right giving is done as a response to obedient living verse fourteen verse fourteen as we read that I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you commanded me so all according to the word of God right giving done as response to obedient living and then we know the last principle here right giving means that the portion that is given to the Lord is not going to be taken for something else. And that's a real challenge, isn't it? It's a real conviction for me. That, Lord, what I have purpose in my heart to give to you, I'm not going to take it. And as we see here in, in verse 14, it says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and done according to all that you commanded me. In the beginning of the verse, I have not eaten any of it. When in mourning, I have not removed any of it for unclean use, nor any of it for the dead. In other words, Lord, what I desire to give to you, I'm not going to use it for something else or for me or whatever it might be. Now, I understand that with the economy being bad, that some people, that it's very, very difficult right now. And it's very, very hard to meet your needs in all of this. But this is something for you to pray about. And this is something for you to pray through. In the book of Malachi, the Lord says, when it comes to giving, this is one area where he says, test me. It's one area where he says, test me to see that I'll be faithful to you and I'll provide for you and I will bless you. So I think that all of us, as we give, when we have that put on our heart, to, to really be dedicated to it. And, and this is something, again, that many of us have to pray through. I know for me, uh, there was times in the ministry where I thought, how are we going to pay the bills? And as a church, we tithe. 10% goes into a missions fund. It goes into not paying bills. It goes into not paying any salaries. It goes into not paying any, you know, for equipment or whatever, fixing the roof or whatever it might be. And there have been times where I thought, Lord, are we going to be able you know, to fix the roof? Lord, are we going to be able you know, to have a salary this month? And very tempted to say, 
You know, we can take a little bit out of that missions fund, do a little bit of transfer, but the Lord has said no. And I know that for me, the Lord has put on my heart that that's there, and we're going to trust you, Lord, that that's going to remain there for you. It's not going to be used for other things, but that's our tie to you, and that's the way that we can give. And you know what? The Lord has come through every single time that we have stayed committed to him and said, you know what, Lord, we're going to trust in you that you're just going to provide for us. So there are those times when I'm saying to you that you're saying, you know what, we've made a commitment to you, Lord. We're going to give you the first fruits. And this is what, you know, you've laid on our hearts that we're going to give a tithe or we're going to give this amount or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden it gets tight. And there's that real, or it might be, that, hey, I want to buy this thing, or we got our eye on this, and if we give up what we give to the Lord, we can maybe buy this new thing, whatever it might be. You take that to the Lord and make sure that what you want to honor the Lord with in your giving, that you do that, and that you go to Him, and you honor Him with that. Because the last principle here, He will bless you. He will bless you as you give to Him. And as you honor him with your first fruits, and he says in verse 15, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land that you have given us just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. I really believe, I like to believe, that the Lord has blessed us here at Calvary Chapel. You know, we're not a wealthy church by no means. But I believe that the principles that we put in to the Lord we're going to give to you and we want to honor you that he has blessed us with that. There are some people, and it's a testimony to other people, there are people that say, that are new to the fellowship, and they say, how do we give to this church? You guys never take an offering. And I have to show them the offering box. You give there to whatever the Lord puts on your heart, and there's the offering box back there. And they're just amazed how we can function as a church and never take an offering or write letters to everybody, how we need more money or whatever we might be, or we have these goals and in all of this, and we want to hire more staff. We just let the Lord provide, and he does. And it's a wonderful thing to watch the Lord work, and he does bless. Now, there's a lot of bad teaching that is in the church as you turn on the TV, and we've talked about it, that there are those that that's all they talk about is your seed faith, and God will you know, make you a billionaire and all of this. The Lord will bless you, but he'll bless you in more ways than just providing for you or blessing you materially. He'll bless you with a heart that is just, there's nothing like just giving to the Lord and trusting the Lord and just drawing close to Him and that joy of giving. Those are the blessings that come with that and investing in the kingdom of God. I hope that as you give to the Lord that it brings you great joy to just invest in what God is doing in the kingdom of God and giving Him the first fruits of your life. And so principles of giving that we see here. And in verse 16, This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in His ways, keep His statutes, His commandments and His judgments, and that you will obey His voice. Also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be His special people just as He promised you that you should keep all His commandments and that He will set you high above all nations which He has made in praise and name and in honor that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God just as He has spoken. So once again they're being reminded that the Lord has said to you that you are His special people. So walk in His ways and keep His commandments. 
you know, I hope that, that we understand that, that we are a special people unto God. This generation before, you know, this, this group that Moses is talking to, their fathers who died out there in the wilderness, they didn't understand. They didn't get it down in their hearts that they were special to the Lord. They saw the miracles, the plagues come down upon Egypt. They, they saw the, the walls, you know, form as the Red Sea parted and they crossed on dry land and then the Egyptians were drowned, the Egyptians in their chariots. They saw the mighty hand of God. They heard the voice of God speak to them on Mount Sinai, but they didn't get it in their hearts and they weren't established that they were a special people to God. And when God said that I've given you this land, I'll drive out the inhabitants, they didn't believe it. And what was their response? We, we've seen it in the book of Numbers. We saw it here in Deuteronomy that Moses said that your fathers, when they would not go into the promised land, that they were crying in their tents, they were complaining in their tents, saying that God hates us. And here was Moses saying, don't you understand? that the Lord declares to you that he loves you, that he carried you through the wilderness in his arms, and that you're a special people unto him. And I hope that we never forget that, that we that name the name of Jesus, that we are a special treasure unto him, and that as we realize that we are special unto him, then walk worthy of the gospel, as Paul would say in Philippians chapter 1. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Live after him in that newness of life. Surrender to him. Be dedicated to him in every area of your life. Because you are special to him. You're a special people. You're a holy nation, as Peter would write. And I hope that we would understand that. Understand that you are very, very special to the Lord. And you're very precious to the Lord. And he wants to do wonderful things in your life and in my life and the life of this church. I really believe that. Because he desires to do that. He desires to do a marvelous work through his spirit. And so here, reminding them that, you know what, because you are a special people, keep his commandments. Chapter 27, now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God has given you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. In verse 4, Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you should build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, and shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. In verse 9, Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. And so here we see that it's getting closer for them to go into the promised land, isn't it? And now they're being told to, to make some, or that is not make them, but take some large stones and whitewash them, and then you are to write the law on them. And these stones um, were to be placed on Mount Ebal. Now it's interesting that Mount Ebal is about 40 miles north of Jerusalem. It's 
kind of located right in the middle of the country. So it's right in the middle of the land that they're going to possess, but also it is the same area of what is called Shechem. Now that may ring a bell with you. Because after Abraham, the father of the nation, after he was told in Genesis chapter 12 by God that Abraham, you're going to be a great nation, that Abraham came into the land, didn't he? And it says he went to Shechem. And there at Shechem, the Lord showed him all of the land and said, Abraham, this belongs to you and your descendants. I'm giving you this land. And all of a sudden, in that same area, Mount Ebal, what they were to do is take these large stones and whitewash them and write the law on it. And again, this is all part of, first of all, a memorial of the law of Moses um, that has been given to them, but they're going to make and confirm this covenant that God has made with them as well. So we're going to see the blessings and the cursings, Mount Ebal, Mount Garrison, that we're going to get into here in just a little bit. But what it was is I find it interesting that where, Moses, or where Abraham, there in Genesis chapter 12, was shown the land that the Lord is saying, now I'm going to confirm my covenant there in the same area, on Mount Ebal, and, and whitewash it so they can write the law there. And, and it was to be, again, a confirmation of what the Lord wanted to do in their lives. And here, as we read here, they were to give a burnt offering, weren't they? Do you remember the burnt offering, Leviticus chapter 1? The burnt offering was when the animal was completely consumed on that altar. And what it symbolizes is, is that worshiper who brought that sacrifice, that I am completely surrendering my life to you, Lord, in dedication to you, Lord. So they were to offer a burnt offering and then a peace offering, which was a fellowship offering. One of the things that we have seen very clearly going through the book of Deuteronomy here is the importance of obedience, isn't it? I mean, how much can that be emphasized to us over and over again? Keep my commandments, keep my statutes, keep my ways, follow after me, is what they're being told. But what we have also seen, and I pray that we never miss this, and I think that the Lord has really brought this out in this study with me this time more than any other time, that I've read Deuteronomy, but obedience is closely linked to devotion and fellowship with the Lord and the love of the Lord, isn't it? And that's why the Lord said, love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, that you would have a heart for me, Deuteronomy chapter 5, Deuteronomy chapter 10, that you would circumcise the foreskin of, of your hearts, that is, that you would love me. And you put away those sinful things and not be involved in idol worship. And so I really believe that the key to you and I walking in obedience is devotion to the Lord and a love for the Lord. And we have talked about that before. You see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, Jesus rebuked them. He said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. That is, you're all polished on the outside, but inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. And those religious leaders, they would boast in their religiousness. They would boast in keeping the law. They would boast in, in keeping their traditions and, and all of this. But Jesus said, inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. You don't have a heart for God. You don't have a love for God. And for you and for I, I pray that we would have a heart for God and a love for him and devotion and fellowship with him 
And then we will see that worked out in our lives and desiring to follow after him. Because the two really go together. To walk in obedience means that, Lord, I'm doing it out of love for you because I want to walk with you. So here was this memorial. These stones, they weren't to be hewn at all, and, and uh, they were to be stacked. And, and again, it was to be a memorial for the law of Moses, and, a, and a, it's going to be a confirming this covenant that God has made with them. Verse 10, Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God, observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. And then verse 11, And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, They shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When you have crossed over the Jordan, uh, Simeon and Levi, Judah, Judah, Essachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, and they shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. So what we see here is um, the children of Israel, again, to submit themselves to God and his law, um, to surrender to the word of God is what God's desire was, and it's God's desire for us to do that as well. And it's my prayer that we would be ones that we would submit to the Lord in his ways, in his word, applied in our lives. Again, I want to remind you that that's spiritual wisdom. It's more than just having knowledge. It's taking that knowledge of God's word and applying it in your life. There are people that, that can know the Bible. They can know theology, but the things that they have learned in life, they haven't really, or the things they've learned in God's word, they haven't really applied in their lives. And that's where wisdom comes in. It's the applying of what you know to be right in your life and and doing those things that God has called you to do. So here, the division of the tribes between the two mountains, this is ratifying the covenant that God made with them. One group would stand on Mount Ebal. Now, and they're going to, to, um, here is Mount Ebal's where the curses are going to be proclaimed. And it's interesting, if you go to Mount Ebal today, it's very dry, it's very barren. Then on Mount Garrison is where they would bless the people. And you go to Mount Garrison today, and it's very fertile, it's very lush. And then the Levites were, and the priests were kind of in the middle. In our own spiritual lives, if you want to have a dry, barren spiritual life, then you walk in disobedience to God. That's going to be the result. If you want dryness, barrenness, discouragement, depression, defeat, consequences that are very difficult and hard, then walk in disobedience to God's word. If you walk in obedience to God, then you're going to experience that fullness of life, that abundant life. And you're going to see in your heart this is going to bloom and fruit's going to be produced. We see that all throughout the scriptures. And so here they're going to be given a choice. If you follow after the Lord, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey me, there's going to be these curses that are going to come upon you. And again, what I pray is that tonight, that we would say in this new year and in this new decade, that Lord, I know that there is blessing that comes when I follow after you, when I walk with you closely, when I surrender completely to you, when I walk after your ways. And Lord, I know that when I don't and there's disobedience and that there's sin, 
that there's a barrenness and dryness that's going to take place. So he goes on, and, and here they are divide, going to be divided up. Actually, what we're going to see, that this is going to be fulfilled in Joshua chapter 8. And so verse 14, The Levite shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Curses the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and set it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. So we know the Lord has talked to them about um, not having idols and, and worshiping molded images, and it's an abomination. And then verse 16, Curses the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Curses the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. And curses the one who makes the blind to wander off the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. And curses the one who perverts the justice to the stranger, the fatherless and widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. And curses the one who lies in his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's bed, and all the people shall say amen. And curses the one who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say amen. And curses the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say amen. And curses the one who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say amen. And curses the one who attacks his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say amen. In verse 25, curses the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. And curses the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. So here we see this um, declaration of curses. The people would say, Amen, after each one. And um, we know that um, that's going to continue when we get into chapter 28. Chapter 28, what we're going to see again is the, the blessings that are going to be pronounced in this covenant. The Lord is going to say, if you follow after me, then I'm going to bless you in these ways. And then he'll go into the curses again. And if you don't, then this is what's going to happen as well. And I think what we'll do is we'll go ahead and stop here because chapter 28, I believe, is 68 verses. So we're not going to get into it all tonight, but we'll take a look at it and stuff. But here's what I want to leave you with, and then we're going to come to the communion table that the law does bring a curse in that, that we can't keep the law. What the law does, this law that's given to them, they're told to obey it, told to follow after it. But here's the thing. Paul comes along and he writes and he says, the problem with the law is it declares us all guilty. And it can't save any of us. And the good news of the gospel is this that Jesus became the curse for us to save us from the curse of the law. Jesus became a curse for you and for me by going to Calvary's cross, the one who knew no sin and the one who kept the law perfectly, the one who fulfilled the law. He became a curse for you and for me that we have real hope. And whatever it is that you might be facing in this new year, that we have real hope, the hope of eternal life, but also know that we have the hope that God, you know, and that word hope is expectation, certainty of God's promises and his love for you and for me. And as we come to the communion table tonight, Lord, thank you so much for, Lord, your work on Calvary's cross, becoming that curse, that, Lord, that I can be saved from the curse of the law. 
And I have real hope in my life. And Lord, you're with me. And I pray that we would just really just open our hearts to the Lord and, and just express that thanksgiving and have that joy in our hearts as we hold the elements as you take of them tonight for the wonderful works that God has done for you and for me. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that we can come tonight as the communion table is open and, Lord, that we can rejoice in the fact that you, your Son, became a curse for us to save us from the curse of the law. And, Lord, as we come tonight realizing that, Lord, that all of us who have surrendered our hearts to Jesus Christ, we have that spiritual healing that has come from death to life. And, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you've brought us out of Egypt, out of the world. Father, I pray that we would be established in your promises and in your truths. That our spiritual life wouldn't be barren. It wouldn't be dry. Because we're not fully devoted to you. Perhaps we're not walking closely with you. Maybe there's compromise in our lives. And Lord, you know all of our hearts. And I pray that right now, that we would just allow you Lord, as we present our hearts to you to show us and to speak to us out of your love. If, Lord, there are things in our hearts, things that you're showing us, Lord, that need to be corrected or given up or repented of. Father, I pray that our lives would be truly full of fruit and blossoms And and there would be refreshment. And Lord, there would be blessing. Because we are living for you. And Lord, we're desiring to follow after you. And Lord, that all of us would walk in that newness of life that you have for us. Father, I just pray that as we hold the communion elements that we would realize that's possible because of what Jesus Christ did for us that he went to the cross and allowed his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. That we can have real hope and real purpose in life and fulfillment and satisfaction. So Lord, as we just spend some time worshiping and open up the communion table, that you would just bless this time. Father, we just thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.